James chapter 5. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll get right into it tonight and uh, <clears throat> just pray that the Lord helps us to get through it. So uh, this kind of just came on a little bit suddenly. I know there's something going around. It was in my chest. And, I mean, just Friday and Saturday just kind of came out and uh, in one of those things. So appreciate your prayers to, to get through it. Um, and uh, if you can handle the gravelly voice tonight. There is a truth here that I think will be a help to us and encouragement to us. So James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, and it says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Uh, as I was <clears throat> preparing for the, the last, maybe well, we might do another one in James, but as I was preparing for these last couple of verses, in some ways I was a little surprised, it seems, that James kind of veered a different direction. You know, he's been talking about prayer and the effectual fervent prayer, and, and we looked at how the effectual fervent prayer in or J-O is that Greek word, and how when you pray with, with fervency, with energy, that God supplies that prayer with power. And Elijah uh, was the example that we have that he was a man like we are. He, he's made of the same stuff. And yet he was able to pray with such energy and such connection with the Lord that God stopped rain for three and a half years. And then he started it again once Elijah went and prayed again. And, and just the encouragement that powerful prayer is available to anybody. Uh, and so that's kind of what we looked at last time. And then... Um, suddenly we get to verses 19 and 20 and it sounds like James is, is changing directions. It's kind of like when somebody turns right out in front of you, you weren't expecting it or somebody does a U-turn, you're just not ready for it. And, but as I thought about this, um, I, I thought, well, actually it does have a connection. Um, because if you think about the verses we were in, it's talking about those that are sick and those that are in need of help, and those that, um, that are away from the Lord potentially uh, because of their sin. And you have these folks that are not where they're supposed to be, but then you have somebody else stepping in. Because he says, pray for one another. And in stepping in and intervening in somebody's life, you help them to turn from where they are to get back on track for the Lord. So it's actually a very similar thought tonight in that there are those, and we're going to call them wanderers. There are those in our lives that have wandered off. People that we love, people that we know, people that ought to be here tonight, and they're not. And James's message is this. You can have a hand in bringing them back. A lot of times we think that if somebody goes that direction, that's their business. And I'm just going to let them do what they're going to do. But that's not what James says. He says every one of us has a responsibility to be involved in search and rescue. Every one of us. And tonight I want to focus on that search and rescue. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. 
In order to get the idea here, we have to start with the meaning. What, what are the meaning of some of these words? And, and by the way, when you're studying your Bible, that's a good place to start uh, because we believe in verbal plenary inspiration, meaning that every word is inspired and preserved and every thought is inspired and preserved. And so you go not just the meaning overall, but sometimes you got to go to the word-by-word -word definition. And so as I was studying for this, I did that, which many of you, when you study, you do the same thing. And I looked at the word error, E-R-I, E-R-R, sorry, I was in spelling B. I'm obviously a very good speller. I spelled error wrong. Brethren, if any of you do err, he says, err means to wander. It means to go astray. It means to be led into error. Um, it'd be like trusting that your GPS is always right, okay? Um, when, when clearly it's not always right if you've used it very much. So error means to wonder. Convert means to return. It means to turn back, to come back. So James is talking about those who have left. He's talking about wanderers. And there are some people that just have a tendency to wonder, don't they? Like when I was a youth pastor, um, we knew that there were some kids in our youth group that if you're in a big group and everyone's together and, and everyone's following orders and everyone's following instructions, there's always that one kid. And a one kid out of 40 kids that will always be the one that when you say, okay, everybody to the bus, you, okay, you're here, you're here. Um, where's, where's Bill? Bill's always the one wandering off. Yeah, everybody, you ever been around somebody? They're always the one that's kind of off in la-la land, just wandering away somewhere else. Everyone else can pay attention. Everyone else can follow instructions, but that one person that's always wandering off. If, if, you have a, if you're in a family and you have kids, everybody has that one kid. Yes. That one kid, Brother Jeremy, who is it in your family? Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> yep, yep. Gavin, is it you and your family? Okay, Gavin's proud of it. He's like, yep, it's me. And while he's doing it, he's like, oh, yeah, it's me. Okay, who, who's it, who, anybody have one in your family? Um, Anna's pointing to Keith. I've actually heard that about Keith. <laughs> Brother Juan has told me that. Like, went to Philippines, right? And you guys would be like, okay, it's time to go. Where's Keith? <laughs> He's in the slums of Manila somewhere, <laughs> giving a guitar away. Who has that? So we all have somebody in our family. There's always, uh, is it Cassie? Oh, no, it's Josiah. Well, everyone knew it would be Josiah in the Maurer family, except he's not wondering he's on a skateboard. So we all have that one kid or that one person that just wonders, heads in the clouds. And, and, but, but who's it talking about technically? Well, I, I, I was going to go into more of this, but I probably won't. Um, it's, I'll just start by this, by saying it's not talking about someone who's lost their salvation. Because if you just read this, you might assume, and I've sat in this office with people before that said, it sounds like you can lose your salvation. And, and I show them scripture and I talk to them, but they just won't buy it. Um, but let me just clarify, the Bible position on salvation is once you're saved, you're always saved. John 3, when Jesus, Nicodemus came to Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? He said, you must be born again. And when you're born, how many times are you born? You're born once, okay? Now, spiritually, you're born again, but, but it happens one time. On, you have one birth certificate. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of 
works, lest any man should boast. So if you're not saved by works, then how is it that you can lose your salvation by works? No, salvation is by faith. So why would God change the parameters when it comes to losing salvation? Uh, John chapter 10 is my favorite passage on eternal security. And it's Jesus talking about the security we have in Christ. And he's talking to his sheep and he says, those that are saved have eternal life and they shall never perish. No man will pluck them out of my hand and no man will pluck them out of my father's hand. So they are safe both in my hand and in my father's hand. So according to Jesus' own words, if a person is saved, he declares that they have eternal life and they will never perish. He said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. So to paraphrase, these people, he says, are my sheep. I give them eternal life. They will never know what it's like to be lost. They will never know what it's like to have their life destroyed. They are mine forever. And listen, if you can lose your salvation, Jesus Christ is a liar. And I, and I, I don't mean that disrespectfully. You know what I'm saying. That's a big condition. If you can lose your salvation, then what Jesus said in John 10 is a lie. And we know he's not a liar, so we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. James is not talking about those that lose their salvation. He's also not primarily talking about those that, uh, that are lost and we're winning those to the Lord. Now, that may be part of this, but that's not his primary reason. What We ought to witness to the lost. We ought to be involved in outreach. I and mean, we have opportunities this week to take flyers and hang them on doors and invite families to, to Bible school. And I think you ought to be every family this week say, this is our slot, we're gonna be there, sign up, okay? Do it this week, be involved. We ought to do that, but that's not the primary meaning. Sometimes we get confused, you know, we see the word convert. If you convert him, and we think, well, Peter said, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out. Conversion can mean salvation. It's the same word James uses. Salvation is turning from error to truth. And by the way, if we say that you have to repent to be saved, we are not saying that you have to work to be saved. Amen. Repentance is a change of mind. That you are going this way and you realize if I keep going this way, I'm toast. I know that's a good Bible word, right? So repent means you turn from the way you're going to Jesus Christ. There's nothing working about that. It's a mindset shift. You have to see your sin and be converted to go back to Jesus Christ. That's the idea. So context here is everything. And you can't, by the way, you can't pull a phrase from Scripture and interpret it by itself. Uh, you have to find the passage, the setting of the passage, the setting of the chapter, uh, the setting of that book in order to interpret correctly. Misinterpretation is the primary reason there are so many false religions out there. If you take one verse out of context, you can come up with any crazy doctrine you want. That would be like pulling one sound clip out of, out of a conversation that you had and taking what's before it, erasing it, taking what's after it and erasing it, and taking one 10-second sound clip that sounds really questionable and posting that and saying, this is the context. This is what they meant. Well, if you don't know what you were saying before and you don't know what you were saying after, that's not fair. You can't get an accurate representation. And by the way, that's part of the reason I'm nervous about putting some of our stuff online 
Because if somebody really wanted to, they could take one small little clip and, and they, could ch- they could say this is their position and that's not what we believe at all. So context, so why, we wouldn't want somebody to do, do that in our conversations. So why would we do that to God's word? Don't just take one verse and assume this is, you know, one verse tells me everything I need to know. No, look at the whole Bible. Look at the whole context. So, so who is this really talking to? It's not talking to the lost. Um, it's not talking about those who lose salvation. It's not talking about those who are, who are lost and need to be won. I, I believe this is talking about believers. See, the whole book of James, James has said that from the very beginning, he's talking to his brethren. And if you read every chapter of the book of James, he says, brethren, my brethren, my beloved brethren, even in our text right here, if you're saying, well, I'm not sure that's not what it sounds like, look at the first word of verse 19. What is it? Read, say it out loud. What's the first word? Brethren. So is he talking to the lost? Is he talking to um, those that have lost their salvation? No, we don't believe that's true. No, he is talking to part of the family. He says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. And, and so it, this, he's talking to those who are part of God's family. But what he's saying here is this. Erring is possible. Maybe even probable. Erring is possible. Maybe even probable. So what I'm saying and what he's saying is it's possible for a genuine believer to err. It's possible for a genuine believer to wonder. I mean, how many of us have ever erred in our Christian walk? How many of us have ever been deceived in our Christian? I mean, you can raise your hand. How many of us have ever thought that we believe something, a doctrine that was one way, and we found out later, no, it was incorrect? Okay. How many of us have ever heard truth, and we know the truth, and yet we choose not to follow and obey the truth? You know what that means? That every Christian, every brother, every sister, every believer, it is possible for you to err. And you say, well, no, no, not me. I, I would never err. Well, you are believing a lie if you think you're not prone to it. We're all prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We've all been there, whether we were deceived or we chose to ignore God's commands or most believers are going to experience a time of wondering. If you've ever been backslidden, you're a wanderer. If you've ever drifted, you're a wanderer. If you've ever strayed away from truth, you're a wanderer. And in my experience, it's, not, it's less about doctrine and more about obedience. But I, I, pro- I believe that probably James was talking to people that were erring from doctrine. I mean, they didn't have the completed canon of Scripture then. <clears throat> they, there were things that were confusing. You read the book of Acts and how Paul would go to these pockets of people that wanted to do right and they wanted to follow God, but they didn't have all the, they didn't have all the information. So they were, they were believing in the baptisms of John or, or doing these things, and, and Paul had to go and correct them. And I believe that's probably part of it. But we don't have that excuse because we have God's completed word with us. So I would say that probably to err, it may be doctrinal and maybe that's part of it. And by the way, let me just say this. There are some people, independent Baptist preachers online, that you should not be listening to. 
And they don't believe correctly. They don't interpret scripture correctly. And even if they did interpret correctly, their disposition is not Christ-like. And if you're watching somebody online that doesn't believe what we believe or don't present it in a way that is Christ-like, turn it off. Because there's a lot of people that are falling into these traps of these YouTube preachers and they're being led away from their local church where God placed them and God put them there to be a part of the body. And I would just say be very careful of following some online personality. Uh, God puts you at Eastside Baptist Church, so embrace it. It's, is it perfect? No, but this is where God wants you, so trust his sovereignty that he wants you right here, and you have everything you need right here. I'm not saying don't listen to other preaching. I'm not saying don't turn it on. I, I would not tell you that, but be discerning. Try the spirits, the Bible says. Make sure that you're listening to the right voices. No idea where that came from, so... No, it could be a doctrinal stance that we err in. It could be a moral decision. It could simply be that you're backslidden. You just get away from the church and you get away from God. But he's talking to people who know better and have decided to disobey. I remember when Jace was little and we were, I was training him to obey. And, and so I, I told him not to touch something. I don't remember what it was. It was in the living room. And so I, I, would, I got on to him and disciplined him and and so you know he got the idea and then he was sitting in the living room and I went over to the stairs and walked up the stairs to where I couldn't be seen and I was poking around the stairs like this and Jace was sitting in the living room and he did one of these numbers (laughs) and when he realized I was not in eyesight anymore he got he, he crawled over to it was probably the DVD player or something like that Um, And he went over and he started messing with it again. And so, you know, I had to go back and discipline and train him because I want him to understand obedience isn't only in the presence of dad. Because if he thinks that you only have to obey when dad's around, then when he's by himself as an 18-year-old, who knows what trouble he's going to get himself into. So teach them when they're young to obey whether or not you're watching. See, that's how we're all prone to do. We're all prone um, to when we're by ourselves and we're thinking, well, I can do this. No one's going to watch me. No one's going to see me. And we're prone to touch things we shouldn't. We're prone to wonder. We're prone to take steps that we shouldn't be taking and we're like Jace in that, that we, want, we, we want to do what we want to do and we're prone, we're called. I mean, it's like Adam and Eve, they didn't even have a sin nature at that time, but they had a free will and their free will was enough to make them, cause them to make the wrong choice and disobey God. So, I mean, now that we have a sin nature, how much worse is it for us? We have a free will and a sin nature and we live in a culture where the temptations are everywhere. Don't think you're above it. Prone to leave the God I love. Don't don't be so hard. Listen, don't be so hard on those who have wondered because it could be you and it could be me and it likely has been you and I. Maybe not visibly, but in our hearts. So James is saying you can err, but you can also still be turned. See, we know what the scripture says. By your fruit, by the fruits you shall know them. But we ought to leave that up to God and not just assume the worst. It is possible for a believer to err from the truth. 
Don't just assume they were never genuinely saved. What he's telling us, here's a process that you can turn somebody who has erred back. It's possible for other believers, so it is possible for believers to err, but it is possible for other believers to be in hot pursuit of those that have wandered. See, we tend to be critical of wanderers. We tend to judge and we tend to have, uh, maybe we judge motives, we resent that they wander and that they're not what they need to be and sometimes we have no sympathy and we have this attitude that says, let them go. I mean, if they're that dumb, let them go. I mean, if they're going to be that foolish, let them do it. But that's not the spirit James says we should have. See, he says it's possible for believers not only to wonder, he says it's possible for believers to be in pursuit of those wanderers. And who are you in hot pursuit of tonight? See, we have some families that have disappeared. When's the last time you reached out? And it could be that they just are out of the habit. It could be, though, that they're wandering, that they've erred. And they need somebody to pursue them. It is possible for you to be the one in hot pursuit. And I'm not saying be overbearing. I mean just simple reminders, efforts to be their friend and let them know you're thinking about them. Be in pursuit. It's okay, James says, to be search and rescue. The third possibility, it's possible for a believer to err. It's possible for a believer to be in hot pursuit. But it's also possible for recovery to take place. It's possible for someone who has erred to turn around. We have to believe it can happen. And that's the whole point of James here in these verses is, is he says there will be times someone isn't right and they need to be restored. They need to be brought back. And if God's people aren't willing to pray and put in the effort for the restoration of a believer who isn't right, who is? If we don't, who will? See, here's the thing. God can restore them. If he can heal. And, and so you think about the context. If he can heal sickness... He can restore a wanderer. And if he can help you endure, I'm just thinking about this passage, this, this chapter. If he can help you endure persecution, he can restore a wanderer. If he can save a sick person from their affliction, he can restore a wanderer. If he can forgive sin, he can restore a wanderer. Hey, if he can stop rain... For three and a half years, he can restore a wanderer. And if he can start it right back up just like that, he can restore a wanderer. I just, if we get nothing else tonight, get that message. All of these things give us the hope that it's possible. So, what's my role? Be in hot pursuit. You're part of the search and rescue team of Eastside Baptist Church. I mean, verse 19, James says, if one convert him. You know what it doesn't say? If the pastor converts him. It says if one. Not male, not female, not staff, not long time saved. You know what he says? Anyone. Any person can be part of the search and rescue team. And they need, that person that's wondering needs a voice of truth. They need somebody to care enough about them to pursue them. They need a voice of reason because they're in error. And listen, God uses human instruments to turn backsliders around. That's the message I want you to get. God wants to use you. 
And you might say, well, I just can't, I can't do that. God can never use me for something like that. No, listen, if God could use Balaam's donkey, you say, that's a real encouragement. Thanks, preacher. Hey, he can use somebody without a voice. He is, hopefully, right now. He can use a donkey. He, he can speak to um, a, a wandering Balaam through his animal. And if he can do that, he can, be, he can take a useful instrument, somebody who has capacity and somebody who has love and somebody who has some spiritual maturity. And he can use you to reach a sitting brother or sister. And James is saying, you just need to care enough to pursue you know, if a search and rescue team gets a call one night and there's somebody and they've, uh, we were in the Black Hills a, a few years ago and we were driving through um, Spearfish Canyon, which is one of my favorite places to drive. And there, there's this one waterfall and somebody had been up at the top and it's right next to the road. They had been up at the top and they had fallen off. And, and slid all the way down to where the river was at the bottom. And when we drove by, there were emergency vehicles and there was, a, there was a stretcher and they were trying to help this person that had fallen and probably injured themselves pretty badly. And so I mean, it was really sobering to see them lying there and all the people around them because they had fallen pretty far. And, and it, caught, you know, it just made me think as I was thinking about this message what if that day somebody called and said, hey, we have somebody that fell at this waterfall and they're injured badly. We need some help. And that search and rescue member said, hey, but my favorite program's on. You know, I, this is my favorite movie. I just started it and I don't want to stop it in the middle. So as soon as the movie's done, I'll go help. Can you imagine how selfish that would be? Or if somebody says, you know what, I'm not sure they're really that hurt. I, who knows? I don't want them to think I'm judging them for their journey. No, that's a, silly, that's a silly way to view search and rescue. Or if they say, well, you know, I, I don't know, what if they don't want to be rescued? I mean, who am I to say? No, that's not the role of a search and rescue team member. A search and rescue team member says, I will drop everything because there's a brother or sister that has a need. I'll drop it all. I will leave what my comfort zone says I want to be in and I'll go pursue the wanderer. I'll go pursue that person that has wandered off, that has veered off and they're in danger right now. Listen, we're so selfish with our time, but God is wanting to use vessels, human vessels to turn someone's life around. When someone you love steps out, it's time for you to step in. It's when somebody you love steps out, it's time for you to step in. That's what James is saying. You say, well, I just don't really know how am I supposed to do that? Well, Matthew 18 gives a pretty good, good, good counsel. It says you go to your brother and if they won't hear you, um, then if they, if they answer your rebuke, if they turn, you've gained a brother. If they won't hear you, take somebody else. Follow that process. And if at that point they still won't hear you, then treat them as a heathen and publican. And how did Jesus treat heathens and publicans? Well, he spit on them and shunned them. No, actually, the Bible says Jesus was known as a friend of those guys. So your job, even if they turn their back on your truth, your job is to let them know you love them. Let them know you're, they're your friend. And by the way, he was called a friend of publicans and, uh, publicans and sinners, but that doesn't mean he was being influenced. That means he was influencing them. 
our issue sometimes they say, well, Jesus hung out with the lowlifes in society, but he wasn't impacted by those people. And we, if we surround ourselves with them, we, we're going to soon be impacted. No, the point is that you are influencing them, not the other way around. So listen, you have a process. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, let's read that. Turn over to Galatians 6, 1. Here's some more advice for somebody who's a part of the search and rescue team. Keep your place in James 5. We'll probably come back to it. Here's Paul's advice, Galatians 6. Verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Oh, by the way, if you're not spiritual, you're off the hook. You don't have to be part of the search and rescue team. Is that the idea? No, the idea is you want to be spiritual enough to help somebody. So ye which are spiritual, he says, restore such an one to in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul says if a man is spiritual, don't criticize, don't harshly judge that erring brother or sister instead of talking about them and ripping on them when they're not around. No, involve yourself in the restoration process. That's what he says. And here's a good reason to be in hot pursuit. In the end of verse 1, he says, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here's why you ought to be part of the search and rescue team, because you probably know what it's like to be lost. You know what it's like to be a wanderer. You know what it's like to have experienced freedom, but now you're experiencing bondage, and you know what it's like to be rescued. Listen, if you've been rescued, you want others to be rescued because rescued people rescue people. People that are passionate about freedom, they want other people to experience too. It, it, rescued people rescue people. You say, well, what happens if I'm, a, if, if, if I'm successful? What's at stake? Back to James 5. Back to James 5. It will be done here shortly. My voice timer is about to go off. James chapter 5. What happens if we're successful? Verse 20, let him know this person that goes and converts, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Now, remember the context. James, in chapter 2, talked about dead faith, meaning that there's faith that isn't producing. And dead faith leads to a worthless life for God. I'm not saying you have no value to God. I'm saying you don't produce anything of value for God. And it's possible to live in such a way that you have nothing to show for your faith. How sad would that be? To, at the end of your life, realize you've got nothing to show. There's no fruit. There's no joy. There's no reward. You're just living. And James says we can stop someone from living a dead faith if we will step in when they step out. We can help them find meaning in their lives again. Is that worth it to you? I mean, if you were living a meaningless life and somebody stepped in, is that worth it to you? Absolutely. Look at the other impact at verse 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. See, so what he's saying is if you stop them where they are, you're going to prevent them from all the other multiplications of sins they're going to face in their life if you can step in at this point. See, if someone doesn't care enough to step in, um, the destruction of sin will no doubt consume them. Here's the thing. Something's going to stop them. It'll either be a friend that cares or it will be the destruction of sin. 
At some point, they're going to come to the end of living life without God. And it's not just, oh, we miss them, and oh, I wish they were here. It just feels wrong not to have them around. No, it's about rescuing them from wandering over a spiritual cliff and dealing with the rocks at the bottom. I read a story, uh, Joshua Burwell, uh, he's 30, he was 33 years old of Indiana. And if you've been to Indiana, you know there's not a lot of cliffs in Indiana. He's in San Diego, and he was walking along this edge of this cliff near the ocean, and he was on his phone, not paying attention, walking along on his phone, and stepped off that cliff and fell 60 feet to his death. And I, it just makes me think of this verse. Because if someone had just stopped him, if someone had said, hey, give me your phone, or if someone had just grabbed his arm, you know, he could have been rescued from the destruction of wandering. But because nobody was there to help him or nobody was there paying attention, he stepped off and his life was ended. And tonight, I mean, what might you save someone from if you choose to step in when someone has stepped out? Are you willing to be part of God's search and rescue team? Say, well, where do I start? Well, start with prayer. Say, I believe with God it's possible for wanderers to turn around. Go in prayerful humility if you have to. Remember that it could be you. If you go talk to him, don't approach him with pride. A, a, a beam in your eye isn't going to help you deal with a moat in their eye. So have prayerful humility. Two, get the facts before you go. I mean, you may not fully understand the situation. So don't go with hearsay or gossip and, and make sure that you've done your homework. You don't go in an accusatory manner. Assume you may not have the whole story and approach them. But where you start is with prayer. But second, faithfully pursue. So where do you start? Start with prayer. Second, faithfully pursue. See, say, I'm willing to put in the effort to turn a wanderer around. Here, here's what we need. We need to assume it's our call to go. We're really good at thinking, oh, somebody else will go. But anybody can go. It's not just the pastor. No, if you have knowledge of sin... And especially if you have a relationship of love with that person, go. You may be their only hope. And that proper function, listen, of a church family, the proper function is that it takes more than just the pastor to be willing to lovingly confront sin. And we, we need this message, church. Here's the, here's the mindset. You're, you're friends and you see each other and you're around each other. I, I mean, and, and you know when someone's taking steps, when someone's wondering. What typically happens, I'm just telling you, what typically happens is I get a call and they say, Pastor, I really need to come meet with you. And they come in and say, Pastor, this is going on in some, somebody's life and I just wanted you to know. And, and in that, those situations, I'm obviously more than willing to go talk to somebody. But it says if one convert him. Meaning it's not just the pastor's responsibility. You know, we ought to love each other to such a degree 
that we don't wait on somebody else to step in. Now, I'm not saying go guns a-blazing, both barrels. No, you go with love and you go with humility and you go with prayer. But you are just as responsible and you are just as called to the ministry of search and rescue as this pastor is. And I would submit to you that it may mean more coming from you. Because if the pastor comes and talks to somebody about the sin in their life, then, then they assume, well, he has to do that. That's his job. But if a friend comes and talks, they're thinking they must really love me. And I'm just saying, don't wait for somebody else to step in. Family doesn't do that. Family says, I love them enough to tell them, I'm going to warn them right now. Because if I wait till next week, it may be too late. And sometimes we see the guy with the cell phone on the edge of the cliff. And we're like, oh man, I better go find somebody to grab him. Well, by the time you get back, what's happened? He's over the edge. So assume that you are called. And then faithfully pursue it's not just my responsibility. I, I, I'm more than happy to do it, but it could be time sensitive. And it may be that God is beckoning you to get in the search and rescue game. So who's on your mind right now? Assume it's your call to reach out. And so start with prayer, faithfully pursue, but number three, be, per, be persistent. See, say this, I commit that as long as they wonder, I'm not giving up. See, what if they won't hear? Well, a real search and rescue team member doesn't stay home if, if the mission is urgent. And if it was you, you wouldn't someone to use an excuse not to go. So if they won't hear, get a second person. If they still refuse to change, that speaks to the genuineness of their faith. And at that point, yes, you leave them in God's hands, but Jesus didn't give up on the publicans and sinners. He was known as being their friend. Meaning we're not saying shun them. You still have a responsibility to win them. Folks, we need to have passion for the search and rescue of wandering believers. If I was to summarize 13, verses 13 through 18, I would say this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But if I was to summarize verses 19 and 20, I would say this, the effectual fervent pursuit of a rescued man availeth much. The effectual fervent pursuit of a rescued man availeth much. Listen, being part of a church family means that you're willing to step out when someone you love, or sorry, when you're willing to step in when someone that you love steps out. You might not think it's your place, but there may be a wonder with no hope unless you are the one that goes. Don't wait for the pastor. Don't assume somebody else will do it. No, love them enough to go to the edge of the cliff as you see them taking a step off. Love them enough to go to the edge of the cliff. Maybe put yourself at risk so you can grab them by the arm and turn them around. Rescued people, rescue people. 
Are you willing to step in when someone that you love steps out? We need some more involved in search and rescue here. We need to assume that it's our responsibility to love people enough to pursue them with passion. Let's stand together. Appreciate your attention. I look around the room right now and um, some of you a year ago, you were the wanderer. Some folks a year ago, they were here and now they're the wanderers. But I just want to say, I'm looking around the room and looking at wanderers. There's people here who, because people loved them and pursued them, they're here tonight. And I just want to say, that means it's possible. And if it's possible, then God may be calling you to be one that converts somebody. Are you willing to take this step? Are you willing to go up next to the edge of the cliff, grab somebody by the arm and save them? Because that's what it's going to take.